Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Ted O'Connell, author of USMLE Step 2 Secrets and Chief Content Officer for Inside the Boards. This is the Step 2 Secrets podcast, where we provide you the high-yield content from Step 2 Secrets in audio format, as well as question breakdowns, so you can study on the go and get back to reclaiming some of your life. This is the question breakdown for the pediatrics chapter. A seven-year-old boy is brought in to see his pediatrician after behavioral modifications have been unsuccessful in controlling his nighttime bedwetting. His parents are frustrated that they haven't seen any improvement despite limiting his water intake in the evening. Urinalysis and testing for elevated blood glucose have been unremarkable, and there is no history of life changes or stresses that may be contributing to his bedwetting. Most recently, a bedwetting alarm has not been able to help his nocturnal enuresis consistently. Which of the following medications may be of benefit to use in conjunction with behavioral modifications? A. Bethanicol B. Desmopressin C. Imipramine D. Oxytocin or E. Positive Reinforcement So this is a case of nocturnal enuresis, and we don't know whether this is primary or secondary. Regardless, we we see that the child has a normal urinalysis and normal blood sugar, so there doesn't seem to be a cause there for his symptoms. doesn't seem to be anything stress-wise or or life change-wise that might be contributing. And it sounds like behavioral modifications uh, have been tried with a, a bedwetting alarm. So that's one of the key things here to re- to realize is that positive reinforcement along with other behavioral modifications like water intake limitation and bedwetting alarms really are the first line approach to older children who can't maintain urinary continence while asleep. Uh, but this child's been evaluated for organic causes that can contribute things like diabetes and urinary tract infections and hasn't responded to the behavioral modifications. So in this child, medications probably are the next line, especially given the parent's frustration with the situation. The next thing to realize is that if medication is going to be used, bedwetting alarms along with medication is usually encouraged because medication alone tends to only temporarily improve the bedwetting behaviors. So let's go through each of the options here. So bethanicol is a parasympathomimetic agent used to treat urinary retention and wouldn't be appropriate to use in a child who has nighttime urinary incontinence issues. So we can take that one off. 
Desmopressin is an analog to antidiuretic hormone and can be used as a first-line medication in children with nocturnal enuresis who have um, who are refractory to behavioral modifications. So this one certainly is potentially a good choice for the correct answer. Uh, but let's go through the other couple of options. Imipramine. Uh, so medications like imipramine are reserved for the treatment of refractory cases in which behavioral modifications and desmopressin have been unsuccessful. That's because there's a lot of side effects associated with tricyclic antidepressants like imipramine. And then finally, the other choice here is oxytocin. It's an anterior pituitary hormone that's stored in the posterior pituitary and acts to stimulate uterine muscles during labor, doesn't have an effect on the bladder and would not be helpful in this case. And then our last choice was positive reinforcement, which essentially is already not proven successful in this child. So the best choice for medication therapy for nocturnal enuresis would be desmopressin, which was choice B. And now back to the show. This is Ted O'Connell, and this is the pediatrics chapter from USMLE Step 2 Secrets, 5th edition. Question 1. Give the average ages at which the following commonly tested milestones are achieved. Social smile, 1 to 2 months. Cooing, 2 to 4 months. Well prone, lifting the head up to 90 degrees, 3 to 4 months. Rolling from front to back, 4 to 5 months. Voluntary grasp with no release, five months. Stranger anxiety, six to nine months. Sitting with no support, seven months. Pulling to a stand, nine months. Waving bye-bye, ten months. A voluntary grasp with voluntary release, ten months. Playing patty cake, nine to ten months. First words. 9 to 12 months, imitating others' sounds, 9 to 12 months, separation anxiety, 12 to 15 months, walking without help, 13 months, building a tower of two cubes, 13 to 15 months, understanding one-step commands with no gesture, 15 months, good use of a cup and spoon, 15 to 18 months, Building a tower of six cubes, two years. Running well, two years. And tying shoelaces, five years. Question two. True or false, the overall pattern of development is more important than the age at which individual milestones are reached. True. The exact age is not as important as the overall pattern in looking for dysfunctional development. When in doubt, use a formal developmental test, such as the MCHAT, which stands for Modified Checklist for Autism in Toddlers. Question 3. What screening and preventive care measures should be done at every pediatric visit? Height, weight, blood pressure, developmental and behavioral assessment, and anticipatory guidance, that is, counseling about age-appropriate concerns. These should all be done at every pediatric visit. Question four, true or false? Screening and preventive care are important mainly during a well-child checkup. False. Screening and preventive care are an important part of every encounter with a patient, adult or child. Questions may try to fool you on this point. 
For example, a mother complains that her four-year-old child sleeps 11 hours every night. This is normal behavior. The answer to the question, what should you do next, may be to give an objective hearing exam, which is a routine screening procedure in a four-year-old child. Question five, what are the commonly performed screening tests for metabolic and congenital disorders? States vary widely in their policies regarding newborn screening. All states screen for hypothyroidism and phenylketonuria at birth. Screens must be done within the first month of life. Most states screen for galactosemia and hemoglobinopathies, such as sickle cell disease. Some states include screening for homocysteinuria, maple syrup urine disease, congenital adrenal hyperplasia, cystic fibrosis, biotinidase deficiency, tyrosinemia, and toxoplasmosis. If any of these screens are positive, the first step is to order a confirmatory test to make sure that the screening test gave you a true positive result. Question six, what are the frequently tested items under the umbrella of primary prevention using anticipatory guidance? Tell parents the following, keep the water heater under 120 degrees Fahrenheit, have functional smoke detectors in the home, have the phone number for poison control handy, use proper car restraints such as child safety seat or booster seat, put the infant to sleep on his or her side or back to help prevent sudden infant death syndrome, the most common cause of death in children aged 1 to 12 months. Do not use infant walkers because they cause injuries. Watch out for small objects which may be aspirated. Do not give honey before one year of age. Do not give cow's milk before one year of age. Introduce solid foods gradually, starting at four to six months. Supervise children in bathtubs and swimming pools. Minimize screens such as television, computers, and portable devices. Get plenty of physical activity, at least 60 minutes daily. Question 7. How often should height, weight, and head circumference be measured? What do they signify? Height and weight should be measured routinely into adulthood. Head circumference should be measured at every visit in the first two years. All three parameters are markers of general well-being. Abnormal values may suggest disease. Question 8. What if a child has low height, weight, or head circumference compared with peers? The pattern of growth along plotted growth curves over time, which you may be asked to interpret, tells you more than any single measurement. If a child has always been low or high compared with peers, the pattern is generally benign. A patient who crosses two or more growth curves is more worrisome. Parents commonly bring in a child with delayed physical growth or delayed puberty. You need to know when to reassure and when to further do further testing and questioning. Question 9. Define failure to thrive. What causes it? There is no consensus definition for failure to thrive, but commonly used definitions include a head circumference, height, or weight less than the 5th percentile for age, a weight less than 80% of ideal weight for age, or a weight that drops two or more major lines on the growth curve. Failure to thrive is most commonly due to psychosocial or functional problems. Watch for signs of neglect and child abuse. Organic causes usually have specific clues to trigger your suspicion.
Question 10. What conditions are suggested by obesity in children? Obesity is usually due to overeating and too little activity, which comprises more than 95% of cases. Less than 5% of cases are due to organic causes, such as Cushing syndrome or Prader-Willi syndrome. Question 11. What condition should you consider in a child with an abnormal head circumference? Increased head circumference may mean hydrocephalus or tumor, whereas decreased head circumference may mean microcephaly, for example, torch or congenital toxoplasmosis. Other causes, such as syphilis, HIV, rubella, cytomegalovirus, herpes simplex infection, or Zika virus. Again, the pattern of head circumference over time, plotted on a growth curve, is most helpful in defining pathology. Question 12. How are hearing and vision screened? Hearing and vision should be measured objectively at least once by four years of age. After the initial screen, measure every few years until adulthood, or more often if the history so dictates. Question 13. In what situations should you worry about hearing loss? After a bout of meningitis, because hearing loss is the most common neurologic complication, with congenital torch infections, with measles or mumps, with chronic middle ear effusions or chronic or recurrent otitis media, and with the use of ototoxic drugs such as aminoglycosides. Question 14. What is the red reflex? What should an abnormal reflex suggest? Check for loss of the red reflex at birth and routinely thereafter to detect congenital cataracts or ocular tumors. When a pen light is shined at the pupil, you usually see red because of the underlying fundus. If a cataract or tumor is present in the eye, the red reflex disappears and you see white, known as leukocoria, and classically due to retinoblastoma. Question 15. True or false? Before a certain age, intermittent strabismus is normal. True. It is normal for infants to have occasional ocular misalignment, or strabismus, until three months of age. After three months, or with constant eye deviation, strabismus should be evaluated and managed by an ophthalmologist to prevent possible blindness in the affected eye. Question 16. How is screening for anemia done? Recommendations for routine screening for anemia with a complete blood count, or hemoglobin and hematocrit, vary and are changing. Hemoglobin or hematocrit measurement is recommended at 12 months of age, but it may be required at other times as dictated by history and risk assessment. Recommendations for screening during adolescence vary, but adolescents should be screened at least once. If any risk factors for iron deficiency are present during infancy, such as prematurity, low birth weight, or ingestion of cow's milk before one year of age, low dietary intake, or low socioeconomic status, screen with a complete blood count or hemoglobin and hematocrit if given the option. Question 17. Do infants require iron supplementation? Iron supplements are recommended for exclusively breastfed infants beginning at four months of age. Infants receive enough iron during the third trimester of pregnancy to last for the first four months of life, but breast milk contains little iron so supplements are needed after four months. The iron needs of formula-fed infants can be met for the first 12 months of life 
with standard infant formula and the introduction of iron-containing foods such as baby cereal. Exclusively breastfed infants also require vitamin D supplementation. Question 18. How and when do you screen for lead exposure? Screening for lead toxicity is controversial. Routine screening is no longer recommended. However, all Medicaid-eligible children must be screened. Consider screening high-risk children, those who live in old buildings, have a sibling or playmate with lead toxicity, those who eat paint chips, if they live near a battery recycling plant, or have a parent who works at a battery recycling plant. Screen for lead exposure by doing a serum lead level. If the initial lead level is abnormally high, closer follow-up and intervention are needed. The best first step is to stop the exposure. Question 19. True or false? Most children need fluoride supplementation. False. Because most water is fluoridated, supplementation is not needed. However, if a child lives in an area where the water is inadequately fluoridated, which is rare, where the child is fed exclusively from pre-mixed, ready-to-eat formulas, which use non-fluoridated water, fluoride supplements should be given. Question 20. True or false? Breastfed infants are more likely to require vitamin D supplements than formula-fed infants. True. The American Academy of Pediatrics recommends that exclusively and partially breastfed infants receive vitamin D supplements shortly after birth and continue until they are weaned and consume formula or whole milk. Formula-fed infants do not require supplements in the United States because all formulas contain vitamin D supplements. Question 21. When should children be screened for tuberculosis? Universal screening for tuberculosis is not recommended. There is no need to screen children who have no risk factors. Risk assessment should occur regularly until two years of age, then annually. Test those at high risk, a family member with tuberculosis, family member with a positive tuberculosis test, a child born in a high-risk country, a child who has traveled to a high-risk country, or a child who has consumed unpasteurized milk or cheese. Question 22. True or false? Screening children for renal disease with a urinalysis is not recommended. True. However, you should screen for congenital and anatomic abnormalities such as vesicoureteral reflux after a febrile urinary tract infection in children two months to two years of age by getting an ultrasound and either a VCUG or radionuclide cystogram. Screening after the age of two is more controversial and likely won't be asked on the USMLE. Question 23. True or false? Current vaccine recommendations and schedules are always provided on the USMLE. False. But because the timing of normal immunizations is being updated constantly, the administration schedule for common vaccines may, pre may be provided on the Step 2 exam. Higher yield information relates to special patient population. For example, give pneumococcal vaccine to patients with sickle cell disease or splenectomy. And also, vaccine contraindications are a positive topic. So remember, no measles, mumps, rubella, or influenza vaccines for egg allergic patients. No live vaccines for immunocompromised patients. Question 24. True or false? 
sexually active teenage girls need screening for chlamydial infection and gonorrhea. True, there are high numbers of reported cases of chlamydia and gonorrhea in younger women. The Centers for Disease Control, the CDC, recommends annual screening for chlamydia for all sexually active females aged 25 and under. The CDC recommends screening high-risk sexually active females for gonorrhea. Question 25. When should you recommend that a child see a dentist for the first time? The American Academy of Pediatrics and the American Academy of Pediatric Dentistry both recommend that a child see a dentist within six months of first tooth eruption or at 12 months of age, whichever comes first. Question 26. What are the Tanner stages? When do they occur? The Tanner stages measure the stages of puberty. Stage 1 is pre-adolescent. Stage 5 is adult. Advancing stages are assigned for testicular and penile growth in boys and breast growth in girls. Both male and female stages also use pubic hair development. The average age of puberty when a patient first has changes from the pre-adolescent stage 1 is 10.5 years in girls and 11.5 years in boys. The classic first events of puberty are testicular enlargement in boys and breast development in girls. Question 27. Define delayed puberty. What is the most common cause? Delayed puberty is defined by a lack of testicular enlargement in boys by age 14 or a lack of breast development or pubic hair in girls by age 12 years. The most common cause is constitutional delay, a normal variant. Watch for parents with a similar history of being late bloomers. The child's growth curve consistently lags behind that of peers, but the line representing the child's growth curve is parallel to the normal growth curve. Treatment is reassurance only. Question 28. What are other causes for delayed puberty? Rarely, delayed puberty is due to primary testicular failure, Kleinfelter syndrome, cryptorchidism, history of chemotherapy, or gonadal dysgenesis, or due to ovarian failure, Turner syndrome, or gonadal dysgenesis. Even more rarely, delayed puberty is due to a hypothalamic pituitary defect, such as Kalman syndrome or tumor. Question 29. What causes precocious puberty? Precocious puberty is usually idiopathic, but may be due to McCune-Albright syndrome in girls, ovarian tumors, such as granulosa, fecal cell, or gonadoblastoma, to testicular tumors, Leydig cell tumors, central nervous system disease or trauma, adrenal neoplasm, or congenital adrenal hyperplasia, which causes precocious puberty only in girls and is usually due to 21-hydroxylase deficiency. Obesity may also lead to precocious puberty in girls. Question 30. True or false? If the underlying cause for precocious puberty is uncorrectable or idiopathic after diagnostic workup, patients should receive treatment. True. Most patients are given long-acting gonadotropin-releasing hormone agonists to suppress the progression of puberty. This approach helps to prevent premature epiphyseal closure with short stature. Question 31. How are cavernous hemangiomas treated? 
Cavernous hemangiomas are benign vascular tumors that are often first noticed a few days after birth. They tend to increase in size after birth, sometimes becoming quite large, and gradually resolve within the first two years of life. The best treatment is to do nothing but observe and follow. Question 32. Distinguish between caput succedinium and cephalohematoma. How are these conditions treated? Both conditions are noted in newborns after vaginal delivery. Caput succedinium defines diffuse swelling or edema of the scalp that crosses the midline, is benign, and requires no further investigation or treatment. Cephalohematomas are subperiosteal hemorrhages that are sharply limited by sutures and do not cross the midline. Cephalohematomas are usually benign and self-resolving, but in rare cases, they may indicate an underlying skull fracture. Order a radiograph or CT scan to rule out fracture if given the option. Question 33. When does the anterior fontanelle usually close? What disorder should you suspect if it fails to close? The anterior fontanelle is usually closed by 18 months of age. Delayed closure or an unusually large anterior fontanelle may indicate hypothyroidism, hydrocephalus, rickets, or intrauterine growth restriction. Question 34. How many vessels does a normal umbilical cord have? What disorder should you suspect if one of the vessels is absent? The umbilical cord is checked at birth for the presence of the normal three vessels, two arteries and one vein. If only one artery is present, consider the possibility of congenital renal malformations. Question 35. True or false? Milky white and possibly blood-tinged vaginal discharge is usually abnormal in the first week of life for a female newborn. False. This discharge is usually physiologic and due to maternal hormone withdrawal. Question 36. What findings should make you suspect child abuse? Failure to thrive? Multiple fractures, bruises, or injuries in different stages of healing? Metaphyseal bucket handle or coronary fractures? Shaken baby syndrome? Retinal hemorrhages or subdural hematomas with no external signs of trauma? Behavioral, emotional, or interactional problems, sexually transmitted diseases, dissociative identity disorder, previously known as multiple personality disorder and classically due to sexual abuse, and whenever a parent's story does not fit the child's injury. Question 37. True or false? You do not need proof to report child abuse. True. In fact, reporting any suspicion of child abuse is mandatory. You do not need proof and cannot be sued for reporting your suspicion. Question 38. True or false? Children have the same range of normal vital signs as adults. False. Children have lower blood pressure and higher heart and respiratory rates than do adults. In addition, children often have different lab values. For example, a child's hemoglobin value is normally higher at birth and lower throughout childhood compared to, with that of an adult. Normal values ranges should be provided on the USMLE. In addition, the renal, pulmonary, hepatic, and central nervous systems are not fully mature or functional at birth. Question 39. 
What is an APGAR score? When is it measured? The APGAR score is a general measure of well-being in newborns. It is commonly assessed at one and five minutes after birth if values are normal. If the score is less than seven, continue to assess every five minutes until the infant reaches a score of seven or more while resuscitating the child as needed. There are five categories of the APGAR score with a maximal score of two points per, ga- per category and a possible total of 10 points. Remember the APGAR mnemonic. Appearance for skin color. Pulse, heart rate. Grimace, reflex irritability. Activity, muscle tone. And respiration, breathing. So for the categories, color, a pale or blue infant gets zero points. The body is pink and the extremities are blue. That's one point. And completely pink is two points. For heart rate, get zero points if it's absent, one point if it's less than 100 beats per minute, and two points if it's more than 100 beats per minute. For reflex irritability, which is usually measured by the infant's response to stimulation of the sole of the foot or a catheter put into the nose, zero points if there's no irritability, one point for a grimace, two points for a grimace and a strong cry, cough, and sneeze. Muscle tone, zero points if the child is limp, one point for some flexion of the extremities, and two points for active motion. For respiratory effort, zero points if there's no respiratory effort, one point for a slow, weak cry, two points for a good, strong cry. Question 40, true or false? The APGAR score is important because it is a first assessment of how a child is doing. False. Do not wait until the one-minute mark to evaluate the infant. You may have to suction or intubate the infant seconds after delivery. Question 41. What should you always remember when a question mentions that a child was given aspirin? Rye syndrome, which causes encephalopathy and or liver failure. It usually occurs after aspirin is given for influenza or varicella infection. Use acetaminophen in children to avoid this rare, but often tested, condition. Question 42. When should the Moro and Palmer grasp reflex disappear? By six months of age. Question 43. True or false? A diagnosis of encopresis or enuresis cannot be made before a certain age. True. Encopresis is normal until age 4, and enuresis is normal until age 5. This diagnostic point is obviously important when the parent complains, because both are normal findings in a 3-year-old child. Rule out physical problems, such as Hirschsprung disease or urinary tract infection, then treat with behavioral therapy. Gold stars for being good, charts, alarms, and biofeedback. Desmopressin and imipramine may be used for refractory cases of enuresis. That's the end of this chapter. A big thank you to Elsevier Incorporated, my publishing company behind USMLE Step 2 Secrets, for allowing us to put out this book in audio format. Please check out the other Inside the Boards podcasts over at InsideTheBoards.com, including the main Inside the Boards podcast and the Inside the Boards Study Smarter series for question breakdowns and tips on getting through medical school. And with that, we wrap up today's episode of USMLE Step 2 Secrets.
Hi, this is Ted O'Connell. I just wanted to let you know real quick that when the time comes for you to begin studying for the USMLE Step 3, we actually now have a USMLE Step 3 subscription podcast. So I encourage you to check that out over at medpreptogo.com. We have sample episodes available. And even if you're studying for Step 2, you may actually find some of this content uh, really useful for your studies. So please do check it out.